you all this morning that we all have a mandate in this generation, in this country. How many of y'all were born in America? Okay. How many of y'all were born outside of America? Yay. We have a responsibility. You are here in Tyler, Texas for such a time as this, right? We have a responsibility for where we live in the generation we're born when. If you, any of y'all watched The Chosen, you know, sometimes we lament that we weren't those disciples, right? That we're walking beside Jesus. Can I submit to you this morning that today is the day that we're supposed to be alive before the coming of Jesus And it is an exciting time to know him and to know his truth and to be the bride of Christ in this moment. And it's not, it, I hope you leave here today with hope, not fear. Hope that God is on the move because he really is. Um, but I want to share what you, with you what I believe is the mandate for the American church this morning and then share just some few stories from my life that I hope inspires the next generation to start getting involved in moving moving forward in that. But if you'll open your Bible to um, Isaiah 59, I'm going to start with that. In 2020, I got captured. Um, You know, we were all hunkered down in our houses wondering what the world was happening. Um, But I got enamored by Isaiah 59, 60, and 61. I couldn't leave those those three chapters really the whole year. And so I want to start with this, you know, is there is a mandate, I believe, for us to lift up a standard, to stand in the gap as intercessors in this country. And so I want to start with, I, I really implore you to read the entire chapter. Actually read Isaiah 59, 60, and 61. If you've got, you have time this afternoon. Who doesn't have time to read the Bible? But I'm going to just go through some of the verses that I really want to highlight this morning. Um, but I implore you to read all three chapters because I believe they're critical for where we are right now as a nation and in this generation. But Isaiah 59, one through three says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Now this chapter is for the people of Israel, but I think we can apply it to where we are today. Um, Does that describe anything going on in our state and our nation right now? Let's skip forward. Isaiah 59, 15 through 16. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Some of us are crying out, watching CNN and Fox News right now, wondering what is happening in our world, and we're feeling like there's no justice. There's injustice everywhere, right? Just look at the southern border. Look at the things that are happening with inflation. We're all feeling the punch, right, Um, of every place that we're feeling this. There's no justice, but... He saw that there was no man. There was no one to stand up against the injustice. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. There was no one to stand in the gap, no one to lift up the standard. So the beauty of God is he sent his own son. He sent his own son. Let's go to verse 19. 
So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Amen. I want to submit to you that Jesus put himself in as the intercessor to lift up a standard for the purpose of redemption. The redemption of people that he loves. Everything that we're looking at in America right now comes down to one thing. There are people in this nation that he loves and he's going after. He wants our hearts. He wants our families. He wants this state. He wants this county. He wants this nation for his glory. And it comes down to him going after people's hearts. And so instead of just looking at all the turmoil going on in this country, I want you to consider that these are people that need Jesus, that are in places of power. These are people that need Jesus in every space, in our public schools, in our city council, in our school boards. President of the United States is a man that loves and needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. So we are called to be intercessors for these places. When there is no justice, Jesus was justice. When there was no righteousness, Jesus was righteousness. When there was no salvation, Jesus was salvation. When there was no intercessor, Jesus was intercession for the people that he loved. That's what he's doing right now in this time. One of the scriptures that if you wander around the streets of Tyler and Lindale right now, and you go up to any person on the street, which I do a lot with these little wristbands, I share with people and say, how can I pray for you? And then I end up sharing the gospel with them. But if you share these scriptures with them, this is one that people do not know. I will say over and over again, have you ever heard this scripture? And they'll say, no, I've never heard it. Romans 5, 9, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That scripture is not known in this country right now. And it's up to us to deliver that news that God demonstrated his love. He was justice. He was righteousness. He was holiness. He was love poured out. And I'm standing before you as a believer of Jesus Christ to pour out justice and righteousness and love and favor to you to give you the open door that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Amen? That is the only thing that ultimately will save America. In the same way, we are called to be intercessors for our nation in our generation and to carry the love of God and the presence of God into every place we go. That's your mandate. When you walk out of the doors of the church today, you're in here to receive the presence of God, to get encouragement. But our mandate every day is to walk outside the doors of this church and to go into our community and to make a difference every place we go. When I walk in the room, everything changes. And I don't say that arrogantly. Anybody sing that song? When he walks into the room, everything changes. When you walk in the room... Everything changes because Jesus, the presence of the Holy God, goes with you into those places. That's my story. 1 John 4, 15 through 17. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God, that the love of God, that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love 
abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. Does anybody live in the world? Anybody have a physical body? Anybody walking around? Yes. Well, your mandate is to be as Jesus. I know that's heavy, right? But truly, that's what this whole thing's about. From beginning to end, from the moment you're born again, it's to change your heart, mind, your will, and your emotions so that you can be Christ-like. That's what this whole journey's about. If you want to know what your purpose in life is, I just gave it to you. That was free. Your purpose in life is to be like Jesus everywhere you go. Um, and so the greatest commandment in the simple gospel is this. Cut down to minimalism. Matthew 22, 3, 37 through 39. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that seems impossible to do in the flesh, but that's okay. We've got the Holy Ghost, right? Anybody have the Spirit of God living in them that causes you to love your husband and your wife, that causes you to love your children when they're crazy, that causes you to love your, you know, principal at your school or your boss when they frustrate you, that causes you to love your your coworker when you don't feel like it? This is what the Spirit of God does. So how do we love God and love our neighbors in the context of our nation? Do we live in the United States of America right now? How do we love God and love our neighbors in the context of this country? Specifically, what do we do for America? So after my race for Congress, I lost a race by 2,700 votes out of 43,000 votes. Um, on the neighboring district here. Uh, Your congressman here is Nathaniel Moran. I was running in the district next to him in District 5, um, where I'd worked for the incumbent member of Congress for years. But at the end of that race, the Lord told me to shut down everything, shut down my consulting firm, and to go find the Awakening Church and plug them into habits of pray, vote, engage. Simple, but to the point. It's time for us to pray. It's time for us to vote and it's time to engage. We started out in 2020. I can't believe we started a new Christian ministry at the beginning of 2020. Um, But even 2020, we spoke in 27 churches and went around Texas. We're now in all 50 states, and we have 150,000 Christians that have taken our pledge to pray, vote, and engage, only by the grace of God. And we're going to build to a million. But I want you to understand why these three things are so important. First, we pray for all men, specifically kings and all who are in authority. And does that say if they have an R or a D behind their name? No. For kings and all who are in authority. First Timothy 2, 1 through 5. I love this scripture. It is so powerful for us to understand this. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
I will tell you why I lead prayer every Monday. We, we have a video. We have a prayer prompt for you every Monday with Christians Engaged to pray for our elected officials, to pray for America. I do this for several reasons. Most of it's selfish. Let's see. I want to lead a quiet and peaceful life. I do. I want to live in freedom and liberty. I don't want to live in North Korea or Cuba. Does anybody else? Um, I want to live where uh, I want to please God. I want to have a good, acceptable I want a place before the Lord, right? And I desire that all men would be saved. We don't pray for our elected officials and our leaders, and we don't pray, vote, and engage for America just to pray, vote, and engage for America in and of itself. It's really about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. America has given more money to foreign missions and the propagation of the gospel than any nation on this planet and will continue to if we have freedom to continue to do that. And so I selfishly pray for our elected officials (laughs) for those three reasons. And I want to submit to you that we elect our representatives, whether that's to our county government, our county judge, our county commissioners, our state legislators, our members of Congress. And we many times, we vote for them, and that's the last that we think about them. And I want to submit to you that if they're going as a believer, as a strong Christian, with your, with, where your congressman here is a personal friend, I know he is, that we leave them on the mission field of life. And we send them to Washington, D.C., and we forget about them like the missionaries that we send to China. And we don't consider that they're completely under attack every moment. And God has given us a mandate to pray for them, to pray for their families, and to pray for our city, state, and nation. Secondly, we vote. I want to submit to you that voting is actually loving your neighbor. (laughs) Loving your neighbor by electing righteous people by electing righteous liberties and using the liberties that God's given us, our founders have given us a gift that we can either squander or we can use for the glory of God. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, and when a wicked man rules, the people groan. There's a direct reaction to uh, what happens in us, body, soul, and spirit, when we have wicked rulers ruling over us. Anybody remember the story of Daniel? They told them, you can't pray. Daniel goes, well, I'm going to continue to pray. Morning, noon, and night. Remember that Shadrach, Shaq, and Abednego? Remember um, Esther and the, the different authorities that are all throughout the Scripture. Actually, the Bible is a very political book if you read it. Um, but there's something to be said for us loving our neighbors and loving our community well by going to the ballot box and electing people that are righteous Again, I'm not talking about a specific political party. I'm talking about doing research and researching your ballot, printing off your ballot, um, praying over your ballot, and turning off Netflix for 30 minutes to research your ballot and go in, you know, 98% more informed than everybody else going in the polls. It made me crazy when I was running for Congress because they had these bunny pounds for Congress signs and people would stand out at the polls. And I'm thinking, why do we have to have this? Do you know why? Because most people going in the polls hadn't researched their ballot, and they're voting with whose signs are outside the door. That makes you crazy, right? But that's the, the reality. 
So what we do with Christians Engage is help remind you when early voting begins, when early voting ends, three days before the election and on election day, that there's elections happening. And here's your five-step Christian guide to print off your ballot, research your ballot, and pray over your ballot and help you do that from a nonpartisan Christian perspective. Um, Only half the church votes. So let me just say this. We are not any different than the general public. The statistics of people that call themselves born-again Christians are pretty much the same when it comes to our voting patterns than the world. It's the same with marriage, right? The divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world. This should not be. (laughs) We should be the ones that are actively engaging with what's happening in our nation, but many times we're not. When you look at primaries, primary elections is where actually the elections really happen. When you're dealing with gerrymandered Senate districts, uh, state rep districts, congressional districts, most of the races are in the primary, folks. And so voting in the primary is where you really get to have your voice heard, but only 8 to 12% of Americans vote in primaries. And that's, by the way, registered voters. We're not even talking about the half of Americans that aren't even registered to vote. Then we have local elections. I mean, in my city in Garland that we've lived in for 25 years, uh, we only had 1.3% of our population vote for a mayoral election in 2018 when we had three opponents running. One church in my city could have taken that election. One city, one church. So if you start voting in every election, you're like in the top 3% of all Texans. (laughs) Let that hit you for a second. You can literally change everything by voting in every election. We have a constitutional amendment election. I know um, Pastor Samuel talked about that or somebody did last week. Um, We have information on how to vote for that. Early voting was last week and this week coming up. And then election day is November 7th. Um, But this is an important time where the state legislature puts out propositions that they've approved for the Texas Constitution. But it has to be a constitutional change on the Texas Constitution. There's 14 propositions. You get to choose whether those are passed or fail. Um, There's also city and county things happening around the state as well. I'm not sure if there's any here, but if you print off your ballot, you go to your elections department and print off your ballot, put in your address, you can see what's on your ballot before you walk in the door. And I want to call you to that commitment of voting in every election. Thirdly, We engage by going outside the walls of the church, standing in the gap, and being salt and light. Can everybody agree with that? You know what? Ezekiel 22, 30 says, So I sought for a man among them who who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. We have different imagery here than we saw in Isaiah 59, but the same idea. Who will raise up a standard? Who will stand in the gap? It's the body of Christ. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let's remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We're the preserving factor, church. We're the preserving factor. And that's for every place you go. You are the light of the world. What an incredible mandate that Jesus gave us. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, where are we supposed to be light and salt? Everywhere we go. Our kids' soccer games, our little league games, your grandkids' little league games. What about your school board? What about praying for your city council members? What about actually going to a city council member and being the five people that actually sit there and actually see what they're doing? (laughs) What about your local civic organizations, your chamber of commerce, your rotary clubs, um, the things in the community where you can actually get out and you can meet people um, and be a part of the community? And what happens? You take the presence of God with you. You take the love of Jesus with you. And so many times we as Christians, we live in our secluded world and we forget that there's a whole world out there that's happening in our communities that we can be a part of and we can carry Jesus into those places of influence. Can God use us within the political movements or in our local civic organizations if we walk with him? Yes. The answer is yes. But I want to submit to you the other side of this coin, which is we then must walk with Jesus. We have to be Christ followers in these places. If you feel a call to really start engaging in your community um, and being an active leader in your community, well, you've got a target on your back because you have to be a Christ follower. If you say, I love Jesus and I'm going to get involved and I want to be a leader in my community— well, then you have to act like Jesus. Somehow you have to be bold and courageous, but yet at the same time operate within the Sermon of the Mount. Um, I haven't done that perfectly, I will say, um, but I believe my story is one of, of a testimony that somehow after 16 years of working in this space and almost 20 years uh, as a, a volunteer or a paid consultant or paid campaign manager that somehow I've lived through this and I still love Jesus. <laughs> It's a miracle, believe me. Um, so I want to walk you through as uh, the second part of my message, just to walk you through a little bit of my stories and some stories that no one's ever heard before until today. Um, my book, uh, I have advanced copies, but this book doesn't come out till February 6th. Uh, Charisma is publishing it, and I'm so honored um, that Steve Strang and their team took a risk on my story. Um, but we have books because we have a conference coming up next week with Michelle Bachman and Kelly Shackelford and many others. And so you guys, if you want a book, you get them before everybody else, (laughs) which is crazy. Um, But I want to walk you through a little bit of my story just to color this a little bit for you because we all have to um, really consider what God's doing in our nation and, and pray and ask God, what is the burden that I'm carrying in my heart? What is the thing that when I watch the news I feel is just so unjust that I don't know what to do. But we all carry burdens and we all have to step out. For me, as a homeschooling mom, it was working within the homeschool community. It was standing up for the unborn and the sanctity of human life. And so in 2004, I went down to a state convention. I testified in front of a platform committee um, on some changes to to the platform and uh, uh, the values of a particular political party. Um, And I got involved, and I went back to Dallas Baptist University, and I went and studied political science, and I felt called as a missionary to America. But my father, um, I'm going to show some pictures of my dad here. This is my dad. 
I grew up in a typical American family. My dad was in the Army. Um, he was a white coat medic during Vietnam. I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. My dad was a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist church, um, and that's our family. My sister's name is Sunny. Yes, my real name is Bunny, and my sister's name is Sunny. <laughs> I was named after Billy Graham's daughter. Um, one of his daughters is nicknamed Bunny. And my dad got born again watching Billy Graham on TV. So we grew up in a family, and that's my son Israel. He's now about to have a baby this week. I'm so excited for him. Uh, Time flies when you're having fun. But my father um, loved Jesus. He loved God. Um, He got filled with the Holy Spirit in the late 80s, and we came to Texas for him to work for James Robinson's ministry. And, uh, but my dad, when I started getting politically involved and getting involved in all this government stuff, he was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And cause he knew I had a call of God on my life. I, I've always, since the time I was 13, um, really dived into scripture. I, I wanted to know what was truth. I was not a normal 13 and 14 year old. I was one of those ones that kind of led the Bible study at my high school, right? As a sophomore in high school. Um, but my, my dad really thought that politics was a mud-slinging profession, and it was inherently evil. And it wasn't until almost 10 years ago on his deathbed, he had a, a glioblastoma of brain cancer, and he died in seven weeks from the day he was diagnosed. But I'll never forget being up down in Florida telling him some of the stories that I record in this book and him getting it, finally getting it. Wow, okay. You're discipling politicians. I said, yes, Dad, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking Jesus to the halls of Congress, you know, in my simple way, in simple conversations. And what if God can use that somehow for his glory? What if he can use a simple girl for his glory? I wish my dad had seen me start a consulting firm that really became one of the largest in the state. I wish he had seen me run for Congress and... Uh, Mike Pence going out on Twitter and endorsing me for Congress. I wish he had seen the creation of Christians Engage and see all the Christians we're impacting now. But I know he's in the cloud of witnesses, man, cheering me on, right? Because what God does is he takes everything that we think is secular and he makes it sacred with his presence. I want you to hear that. He takes everything that we think is secular and he makes it sacred in his presence if we learn to walk with him into those places. And my story is that, just walking with politicians and government leaders. Um, After my race for Congress, I was, man, devastated. If you can imagine a $1.3 million race on each side of my race, it was, whoo, it was pretty pretty brutal. You can read about it in the book. Um, But after my race, I I got a call um, a couple months later from another man that was running for Congress named Ron Wright in Arlington, Texas. Ron was the tax assessor collector in Tarrant County. Um, This is a couple pictures of Ron. He uh, was a solid conservative. He had won his runoff. There was about six of us around the state that were all running. There was 46 in the open seats where members had stepped down, and Ron was one of those in those open seats, and he had won his runoff. He was going into a general election. It was very contentious, and he had like $20,000 in the bank. And he called me. He's like, Bunny, I don't know what to do. I've got to raise money. I'm horrible at this. And I said, Ron, don't worry. I mean, frankly, I needed another cause in my life at that moment. I needed something to live for. <laughs> so I started driving from, you know, Garland, Texas to Arlington, Texas um, every couple days. And I'd sit beside Ron. That's at his home office while he made fundraising calls. And he hated it. Believe me, he hated it. 
But I just encouraged him. I said, Ron, you've got to do this. We got to, you got to win this seat. Uh, you know, it was a, a turbulent year that year in 2018. Um, the majority was hanging in the balance. And so Ron's doing it. I prayed over him. And that was in 1st of July when I started with him. The middle of August, uh, he got, um, ran to the emergency room. He thought he had some kidney issues. And they found fourth, stage 4 cancer a tumor in his lungs and spots in his liver. This is the fall of 2018. He's running for Congress. It's millions of dollars on each side race. And I thought, God, what in the world? I just lost a race for Congress and I'm going into this situation. And I literally drive Ron around to donor meetings and around the district and he was on chemo and nobody could know. The only people that knew were myself and his campaign manager, Micah. And I just prayed over him every morning. I'll never forget praying over him. Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. And I just pray and pray for him and his wife, Susan. Well, Ron won that election. He got through. And a year later, he was in complete remission. And he announced to the world that he was cancer-free. And he ran for a second term for Congress. Um, and he won. He won that second term. And in, um, right when COVID was breaking out, January 2020, the cancer came back in force. Um, and Ron died uh, February 7, 2021. He was the first member of Congress to die from COVID. But it was really a combination of COVID and the cancer that had come back. But I'll never forget calling, uh, talking to Ron the night before the election, that, that first election. And I told him, I said, Ron, if I lost my election to see you get to this place through the biggest trial of your life, it was worth it. It was worth it. What an honor to walk with you, my brother in Christ through this turbulent time. And, um, I just honor Ron and I, his wife, Susan is now with us at Christians Engaged. She's on staff with us. She ended up running for Ron's congressional seat in an 18-person jungle primary, and now she's working for us. I'm thankful to walk with her. Um, the second story I want to tell you is about my boss of 10 years, Congressman Jeb Hensarling. He went from being like a fiscal hawk in the House uh, Republicans to being the chairman of financial services in the time I walked with Jeb. But I was on a plane with him um, in 2012. It was an election year. We were on a Southwest Airline flight to San Antonio for a fundraiser. I'll never forget it. And kind of the rule of thumb when you're a staffer is, and I was his campaign manager at the time, is you don't talk to the member unless they get chatty because they've got a lot going on. They've got briefing papers to review. They've got all this stuff that they're doing, thoughts, policy papers, reviewing speeches. Um, and so you just kind of remain silent until, unless that member asks you questions or, or you, you know, they get chatty. Well, that morning we're on this plane, early morning flight on Southwest Airlines. And, and Jeb got really chatty that morning. And he was uh, in fourth in leadership as conference chairman under Speaker Boehner at that time. And he started complaining to me that, you know, even though they agreed philosophically, he argued with the leadership at the leadership table. They would meet every couple days and He's just like, we're not being strong enough on this or that. And he was really just, you know, frustrated, really frustrated. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know if I'm going to remain in leadership, if I'm going to step down after this term. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
Well, that morning I had my Bible open. I was doing my Bible reading on the plane because it was such an early flight. And I just got done reading Luke 12. And it said, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. I'll never forget that morning because I looked at Jeb and it was like this crazy conversation where he's just pouring out his heart to me. And I said, Congressman, can I submit something to you? I just read this scripture out of Luke 12 and I just read exactly what I just read. I said, can I submit to you that you're in the right place and that if you honor the speaker and you go out and do what you need to do in public, um, but you tell them what you really believe behind closed doors, that if you honor that place that you're at, that God eventually, as a wise and faithful steward, will give you your own field to steward. I believe one day you'll have your own field to steward and to take care of. I had no idea um, that there was anything else on the radar for him. And in January 3rd, that was September, January 3rd, um, he was elected House Financial Services Committee, where for the next three terms, the next six years, he was over everything banking and insurance in this country. <laughs> he got his own field to Stuart. And, and when we, um, I brought this book to him, I had to have all the elected officials sign off on the book. Um, I said, um, Jeb, I got some stories in the book about you. And he said, is the Southwest Airlines flight on there? I said, yes, it is. We had never talked about that in 10 years. God knows. But one of the great Christian philosophers when I was growing up was a man named Francis Schaeffer, and he said, no work of art is more important than the Christian's life. And every Christian is called to be an artist in, every, in this sense. The Christian's life is to be a thing of truth and also a thing of beauty in the midst of a lost and despairing world. That's who you are, church. You are the art. You are the beauty in a world that really has gone, frankly, mad. If you look at a lot of the modern art, I don't know if you're fans of modern art, but there's not a lot of distinction. There's not a lot of beauty sometimes in our world and culture right now. But you are the masterpieces. You are the portrait of God. But if we're going to get engaged, we must battle the enemies of our soul that attack us if we get involved in politics, government, or really any kind of cultural impact. And I'm going to go through these quickly. The first one is pride. You instantly think you're important. If you start getting in leadership or you start um, really impacting your community or you get the cell phone of a member of Congress, all of a sudden you're better than everybody else. <laughs> I remember getting my uh, business card. I'm a, now a campaign manager for a U.S. congressman. I smelled the business card. You know, I was like obsessed. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. Forgetting that God is the one that opened the door and got me there, Right? Galatians 6 3 says, If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. This enemy just comes after us and it's subtle. It's subtle, especially those of us walking in any kind of leadership. And we have to constantly take our souls to the Lord and say, Humble me, bring me to the place of humility. The second thing is anger. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
instantly when we see injustices, instead of taking those burdens to the Lord and becoming an intercessor with him in the place of prayer over those injustices, many times it starts affecting our heart as anger. We start getting angry about what's happening. There's a righteous indignation, but there's also a place where we become ugly people that nobody wants to hang out with. (laughs) Anybody? Anybody seen the? I know it's not you. It's probably somebody else you know. Then we have to battle fear. We have to battle fear. Fear is ultimately not going to motivate us for the long term. Hope is what motivates us for the long term. Fear only lasts for a little while. Anybody get any kind of political text messages or emails or um, groups that, you know, they're constantly using fear to motivate you to action? Well, that's all good for a minute, but it's not what's going to sustain you. But we have to battle fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. We have to combat these enemies of our soul, and we need to make sure that we're walking in without bitterness, unforgiveness, and offenses. Because if you step out in culture, you will get attacked. (laughs) You will get attacked. But how do we combat these enemies of our soul? Well, we walk in obedience to God. When God says for us to do something, we have to combat it quickly. When I lost my race for Congress, it was May 22, 2018, um, a couple months later, I'm working for Ron Wright as, long, as well as my other clients. And I look at the FEC report, which is the Federal Elections Commission, where we file our finances for campaigns. And I pulled up my opponent's FEC report from the runoff. It didn't get filed until July 31. And I noticed on there that he never paid for the runoff. His consultants had floated all of his invoices, $230,000, Uh, through the runoff, and they hadn't billed him until after the runoff. And so, therefore, even though I outraised him by $300,000, I lost, and he won. It was devastating. It was injustice. Um, It's legal. They can do it. And they were doing it in the hope that he would win and that he would be, um, you know, pretty much indebted to them for the rest of their life. But all of his mail, all of his TV ads, all of his radio ads, his fundraising consultant, all of that was floated And all of a sudden, it hit me. I had left everything on the field. I felt like I had done everything right. Um, And I lost. Man, I'll tell you, I don't get angry very often, but I got angry. (laughs) The injustice of that. And it doesn't compare to many things that you've all have experienced or things that we've all experienced in our life. But for me, it was a a hard thing to take. Well, a year later, um, I constantly was taking my opponent's uh, Christmas card. He had this Christmas card that he put out that year with his family and his kids. And I was taking that to the prayer room at Upper Room. And I'm like, God, please help me pray for these people. Help me love them. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you that I just instantly got over anger and frustration about a million dollars against me, but I didn't. I had to deal with that. And uh, a year later, he got home from a trip from Israel with uh, one of my other friends, Congressman Michael Cloud and his wife, Roselle. And they were sharing with me about the trip and how great it was to meet a lot of the freshman members of Congress. And it just hit me. I just said, you know what? I've got to do something to get over this. It's been a year, and I'm still not over it. I think I need to just, and I just looked up his FEC report to see he still had $50,000 left of that debt that hadn't been paid off. 
I said, I think I need to do something crazy like host him a party and celebrate him and pay off the rest of his debt. (laughs) And the moment I said that, the Holy Spirit filled that car where I was speaking, and I knew that's exactly what I had to do. The only way I was going to overcome this injustice was to do something extravagant, something that's not normally done. Um, and, And so... I took off uh, three weeks off my job, and, uh, and I, called, I called the congressman, Congressman Lance Gooden, and he's a dear friend now because of this. Um, and I said, would you let me, um, I need to do something. I need to host you a fundraiser and help pay off the rest of this debt. And he humbly said, Bunny, I would be honored if you did that. And uh, a few months later, uh, December 2019, Two weeks before we started Christians Engage, we had this ginormous party. I called all my donors um, that hadn't given him money, and uh, we paid uh, $35,000 off of that debt, and he got the rest of the 15000 and he covered that debt um, of $50,000. And I'll tell you this. I left that room, and all my staff and our volunteers that came that night and our donors, we left there free. It wasn't as so much about him, though I did want to sow into his future, But it was about us overcoming that offenses, bitterness, and forgiveness, and walking forward in freedom. And I want to submit to you that that's who we are as believers. We do things opposite than what the world looks like, right? I'm going to share one last story, and this is one I've never shared publicly, so y'all have to hold it in for a week, okay? I know this is being recorded. But... um, Right after I, I got, finally after two years of starting Christians Engage, I got full-time with Christians Engage. And so I was, you know, really getting to the point where I'm like, I'm an independent, nonpartisan Christian. Yay. I love this. And um, I had a dream. I had a dream one night. It was, um, let's see, the dream was late fall 2021. And I had a dream um, about Congressman Beto O'Rourke. I had a dream that I was standing in front of Beto, and I was telling him, Congressman, the Lord loves you. He loves you so deeply, and he loves your family, and he loves your servant heart for people. And I apologized to him on behalf of the body of Christ in his congressional district that never prayed for him. Um, I, I never dream, number one, and I never remember my dreams. <laughs> And so even though I'm kind of prophetic, that was new for me. And I just really, it really captured my heart. And I really said, God, what are you trying to do in my soul? Are there prejudice even that I carry in my heart towards people that you see differently? And um, I was praying over that for a couple months. And uh, February of 2022, I'm down in Laredo, Texas with our evangelism ministry we partner with called Time to Revive. And we're leading 30 churches together, and we're going out on the streets, and I'm leading teams doing street evangelism. I know, this doesn't make sense, right? Political consulting, civic engagement ministry evangelism. It all makes sense, believe me. So I'm out there leading teams, and Kyle Martin, the founder of Time to Revive, sits with me that night after we came off the street, and he goes, Bunny, you'll never believe what happened today. I was like, what, Kyle? He said, I prayed for the county judge here, and I'm like, oh, that is awesome, Kyle. That's great. He said, what happened to me yesterday was I met a guy named Steve, and I prayed over him in a grocery store. And Steve 
was radically affected. Um, he had prophesied over him and prayed over him in a grocery store. And he said, Kyle, you need to come with me tomorrow night because I am leading the rally and the reception for Beto O'Rourke tonight, and I want you to pray over him. So fast forward the next day, Kyle's sitting next to me, and he goes, well, this happened, and but I can't go tonight and pray over Beto O'Rourke because I'm preaching tonight with these 30 churches coming together. And he just looked at me. You know that look? I said, and you're telling me this Why? And instantly tears come to my eyes because that's how I know God's speaking. And uh, I said, you don't know that I had a dream about Beto O'Rourke three months ago that I was standing in front of him telling him what God thinks about him. He goes, nope, I didn't know that. I said, but you're supposed to go pray over Beto. (laughs) Okay, so again, this is not about parties. This is about the prejudice that we hold in our heart on the right and the left. And sometimes we don't see people the way that God sees them. So here I am, a 16-year political consultant, 20 years in politics, walking into a Beto O'Rourke rally. Okay? Get the picture. Y'all got the picture? Um, and what I thought was going to be a private meeting turned out into I walking into a full rally. So I'm trying to stay off the cameras because I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to see me at this thing, especially not on the cameras. Um, And I'm listening to his speech. And while I'm listening to his speech, the Lord tells me to write down everything I agree with him on. And can I submit to you, there was more than I thought. And I sat there and I wrote it down in my phone. And after after the speech, I found Steve. And he goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Yes, Kyle was supposed to come to this other meeting. You got wires crossed, and I'm so glad you're here. He goes, um, Congressman O'Rourke's going to, and this is during the governor's race, is going to take pictures with everybody, and he's going to meet everybody, and at the end, I'm going to introduce you, and I'm going to tell him about the story about the grocery store and Kyle, and I want you to pray for him. And I was like, I would be honored. So I just go around this Beto O'Rourke rally, guys, and I'm just praying for everybody, ma'am. I'm just like on the street. How can I pray for you? And you would be shocked. I got to pray for a district director. I got to pray for a campaign manager. I got to pray for some activists. It was awesome. And I get at the back of the line, and I walk up uh, to Congressman O'Rourke. I said, Congressman, it's such an honor to meet you, really an honor to meet with you. Um, we're here. I'm here with an evangelism ministry called Time to Revive, and we're on the streets, and we're hanging out, sharing people prayer and sharing Jesus with people. And um, Kyle Martin was invited by Steve to come here and pray for you. Uh, he didn't know, though, when he asked me to come tonight that I had had a dream about you a couple months ago. And I tell you, I start, as I start telling him the dream, I am living the dream. I said, sir, God loves you. He loves your wife, Amy. He loves your kids, and he sees your servant heart for people. And... I just feel like I'm supposed to apologize on behalf of Christians in your congressional district that when you served in Congress, many people did not pray for you. And I apologize, and tears started coming to my face. It was like I was living the dream, and the presence of God was so thick. He's like, Bunny. Well, he didn't know my name at that point. He said, you're telling me God gave you a dream about me? I said, I know. Isn't that crazy? Number one, I don't dream. I don't dream ever. And number two, I've been a Republican consultant for 16 years. <laughs> I said, this is not 
what is the world? I'm at a Beto O'Rourke rally. And, he, and I said, I ran for Congress in 2018. He said, what is your name? I said, Bunny Pounds. And he's like, oh, Bunny, I know who you are. He goes, we actually made fun of your name. That is a crazy name. And I said, sir, I shouldn't be here. I said, Rafael Cruz is like a father to me. Senator Cruz's cousin, Bibi, is one of my best friends. Why am I standing in front of you? Other than God told me to come. But I'm telling you this, and right then the Lord told me, pick up your phone and tell him everything you agree with him on. And I had my list, and I just went through it line by line. Let me tell you what I agree with you on. At the end of the day, we are all Americans. We're not Republicans or Democrats. We're people that God loves, and he's after all of our hearts. And if I do anything else tonight, it's to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he loves your family. And if he does anything else in this meeting but changes my heart, that's what he's really after. And I said, knowing all that, would you allow me to pray for you? He said, Bunny, I would be honored. And he held out his forearm. In a quick minute and a minute and a half prayer, I prayed for Congressman O'Rourke that day. And I tell you, in all humility, I have never felt the Holy Spirit like I did in that meeting. And I'm telling you, I don't know what happened in his heart, but I know some chains fell off my heart. Instantly, he said, Bunny, that was um, amazing. He said, can I have your cell phone number? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. He goes, I I want your cell phone number because I want to keep in contact. Um, That was one of the most meaningful meetings I've ever had. And he texted me instantly. He said, this is Beto. He said, please let me know if God says anything else that you're supposed to tell me. I could not drive for like two hours after that meeting. I just sat in my car and I just wept because I saw the heart of God for people again in a clear demonstration of what he wants to do across the races, across the generations, across the social economic, across the party politics. He wants to break through and he wants to touch people's hearts. And I just want to say, if you've been one of those ones that have been hurt by some of the political stuff happening in our country, I am sorry. If you've been one of the ones that have participated in some of the things that have demonized other people and have not seen them after the spirit, we can argue a position, but we shouldn't take on a person. Church, we need to repent. In Isaiah 51, Jesus stood... And he read out of Luke, he read this scripture out of Isaiah 51. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. That's our call, church. 
Can we walk with God through our interactions with our elected officials, our chamber of commerce, our civic organizations, our city councils, our homeowners associations? I submit to you that we must. I submit to you that we have to go outside the walls of the church and make an impact in America. But we have to do it by walking in intimacy with Jesus. And that's my call is to lead the church into that. What does America need in this hour? I submit to you that America needs you. Your voice, your participation, your involvement, your vote, your prayers. Would you please stand with me? When Congressman Rourke, um, his sister died um, last year, and I was texting him Psalms 23, and uh, he said, thank you so much, Bunny. I needed this today. Thank you. God's calling us to participate and to be involved, but to do it in a different spirit than the world. You know, some of you in this room are, are hopefully feeling a burden of injustice in our nation, and you've been wondering what to do. Um, can I submit to you that we want to help you um, pray, vote, engage regularly, and see that burden um, really interact in intercession for this country and to really consider that your every word that you say to Jesus, every vote that you cast, everything that you do in engagement matters to God. Some of you have been involved in leadership in your community or in political movements, and some of this has touched your heart, hopefully, to consider doing it in a different way. Again, as Christ followers, as kingdom ambassadors, um, is what God's calling us to do. So we here at Christians Engaged are here to help you navigate all that. But I just want to pray over our hearts right now and pray over this nation. Would y'all join with me? Um, and I like to just put my hand over my heart. It's like a touch point to say, God, you're dealing with something in my soul today. Lord, we just come before you today. God, we thank you for this um, incredible church. Thank you for the Lord's house. We're in your presence today. And Lord, we just submit everything in our life, God. We are Christ followers above everything else. We are kingdom ambassadors in this world. And it's hard, God, to navigate all this as believers. So hard. Um, But you're going to teach us. You're walking with us, Lord, and you care about this nation. And Lord, I pray for every heart, every burden in this room for America and for our cities, our counties, our state and our nation, God. Lord, that you would, we would be intercessors, that we would be ones that would raise the banner that we would be the ones that raise up the standard against unrighteousness and wickedness. But God, that we would do it in the spirit of Christ. That we would be bold and courageous and operate within the meekness and, the, and be peacemakers and operate within the Sermon on the Mount. God, that's our call. And Lord, I pray that you would take the burdens that people have and you would show them how to activate in their sphere of influence for that issue or that, that cause. And, Lord, I thank you for leading us into deeper intimacy with Jesus above everything else. God, we want to be the ones that carry your presence into the boardrooms, in the city councils, in the schools, in this community. Lord, let this church be a church of influence and leadership. Lord, may we truly be Christ ambassadors wherever wherever we go. Lord, we cry out for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo. I apologize, I went a little long. That was my first time with that message. So you guys got the inaugural message. 
Um, so I wanted to share with you right before Pastor Samuel comes back up, but so the starting point for Christians engaged, if you're like, you know what, in a nonpartisan Christian perspective, I want to make a pledge to pray, vote, and engage regularly. We want to help you. You have these little cards in, um, your, uh, whatever, what are the chairs? Chairs. Thank you. Um, if you could put up the next slide where it talks about, um, has the QR code. So the Lord's House is a strategic ministry partner with us, um, and we we have our own QR code for within this church for you to take the pledge. So you can actually take a picture of that right now or just use the QR code or fill this out. Don't do the QR code on this card, but you can fill it out manually, and we have a basket back there. And we're not going to overwhelm your inbox. All we do is send a weekly Pray, Vote, and Engage email with our classes, our prayer calls, our weekly pray on video, our scripture for the week. And then we send you four texts and four emails around every election so you never forget an election again. If you want to start voting in every election, start in this one, and then start voting in the primary next March and start voting in the general election. We have local elections happening next year. It never stops, folks. My job never ends. So start doing that. And then our next part of engagement is our on-ramp to civic engagement. This is our starting class for Christians Engaged. It teaches you everything about political parties, issues from a biblical perspective, the First Amendment, how to share the gospel. We uncover everything in this. You know, if you want to go out and be a leader in your community, this is the class to start with. All of our classes are just 29 bucks. They're on-demand video curriculum. And we have um, so many great leaders on that class. And then we have so many other classes. We're becoming like um, a, a hub of on-demand video curriculum. So if you want to learn about leadership, my Bible study on the book of Nehemiah, we have a biblical justice class, state legislature, local communities, all of it, and all that information's on the back table. And um, you guys get can get books today. If you want a book, um, go ahead and get one for 20 bucks, and then tell people about it. And we need lots of pre-orders on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and ChristianBook.com. Um, so that we can hit the, the bestseller list. So if you can help me with pre-orders today um, and grab a book before everybody else, um, I'll be signing those in the back. And thank you, Pastor Samuel and Amy, for trusting me to share some of my crazy stories um, to your congregation. We love you guys, and let's go change the world for Jesus. Amen?